You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity now to open your word, uh, the time in the service where we can just hear from you. And God, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit and enable me to teach your word um, powerfully and in a way that we don't just hear it, but we are stirred um, in our affections to do it. And not, not just do it, Lord, but to do it with delight, to do it with joy, to do it in a way that points to you and in a way that our only glory, our only boast, our only confidence is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for that great sacrifice for our sins. And God, I just, I'm so thankful for the privilege we have now to look into your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you with children know that um, they are really, really good at making a mess, um, but they're not so good at cleaning up the mess. Um, Am I right? Can I get an amen there? Um, And whenever, uh, we don't have kids yet, but whenever Shana and I um, babysit the nieces and nephews for like an overnight thing, um, it's really weird. Like our living room, it's, it's really big in our apartment. And it seems to just attract chaos. I don't really know how else to describe it. Like even the littlest one who just started walking, when he gets in the living room, he just like looks at it and just starts running in circles. Like it, it just attracts that. So um, you know the drill, like the pillows become fireballs that we launch at each other and the blankets become uh, little nets that we can trap them and put them in the cage on the couch. And, and it really is, it's, it's chaos. And um, we call it the monster game. And we just run around and, and it's all kinds of fun. Um, But whenever bedtime rolls around and I say, all right, kids, it's bedtime, it's time to clean up, and they say, okay, can you help? There's really two ways I can respond in that situation, right? I can assert my authority as their uncle, and I can say, no, um, you clean up, right? You made the primary mess, so you clean up, and um, and they'll do it, but there won't be much joy there, right? Clean up or there's going to be trouble. That's one way I could do it. Or I could say, sure, let's clean up. You want to race? And, and suddenly, what was a burden before for them um, is now a game. And we're running around, we're racing, picking up the toys, and I'm singing, clean up, clean up, everybody do your thing, you know, you know the, you know the song. And, and um, yeah, you're like, that's a weird picture, to picture my pastor, you know, just running around singing that. Um, but, but notice the difference there in, in the kids doing the same task, right? And again, you parents understand this, when, when your kids have to clean up something, um, you can either bring down the hammer of justice the hammer of the law, and say, do it or there will be trouble, um, or you can come down and help them. And what's crazy is that in the first situation, um, the kids are kind of sad. There's like a burden on them. They're kind of doing it out of fear. It's almost a form of slavery. Like my dad said, I have to do this. Otherwise, you know, no Nintendo or whatever they're playing these days, right? Um, but the, the second one, there's joy. There's happiness. There's, there's delight almost. It's the same work. So, so what's the difference? The difference is daddy came down and helped. And that's the difference between spirit-led living and legalism. In legalism, we are doing it as a burden, as a slavery, as a, I hope God will love me if I do this. I hope he'll, he'll bless me if I do this. And it's a horrible way to live the Christian life. But spirit-led living is understanding, dad, my heavenly father came down to help. In the form of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't just tell me to do it. He empowers me to do it. 
He gives me love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And, and there's joy and there's delight. And, and it's a completely different way of living the Christian life. The difference is daddy came down to help. And it's so powerful, um, and you need to understand this. If we're going to end Galatians right, you need to understand this, that we do have a mess to clean up in our lives. But it's not a mess that we clean up in our own strength. It's a mess that we ask our Heavenly Father to come and help us with. And, And that's kind of the message of Galatians, that we have been set free by the death of Jesus to now live free, to live in the freedom. We don't have a law on weighing over our heads and, and, and putting us into slavery again. We have the Spirit. We are sons and daughters of God. We have been set free. And so when we serve God, it's out of joy. It's out of delight. It's, it's, there's fun. There really is fun there. And that's the message of Galatians, that our Heavenly Father came down to help. That Jesus died on the cross, ushered in the new covenant where the law is now written on our hearts and we have the spirit that empowers us to obey it. And it's not burdensome, it's delight. And so that is the message of Galatians. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but it's Christ living in us. And it's by faith in him that we live this life. And so if we're going to understand Galatians, that's what we need to understand. These false teachers were coming in and they were teaching a message contrary to the gospel. They were saying, you've got to obey all the Old Testament religious rituals if you want to be accepted by God. If you want to be part of God's covenant family, you've got to do these rituals. And Paul said, no, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we are saved. And that is how we continue. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you going to be perfected in your flesh? No, the spirit empowers us to live this life. And so the, the question remains, well, okay, we got a glimpse of that last week, right? We saw legalism and license and the spirit, um, the spirit led life right in the middle. And we said, okay, a glimpse of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, um, those things. But, but what does it look like, Paul, to kind of grow in this, to continue in this? What does a life of spirit-led living look like? And he's going to give us really practical instructions here in chapter 6 of what it looks like to live the spirit-led life. The spirit-empowered life, okay? And the first thing, the first mark of a spirit-led community um, is that, first of all, they walk in authentic community. That's the first thing he's going to unpack for us in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 6. But if you noticed last week, I didn't read 26 of chapter 5 because I think I just said 5, 6, sorry. Um, But the last verse of the last chapter I didn't read last week because I think it fits better um, with this, okay? And it says this, let us not become desirous of vainglory, provoking one another or envying one another. Okay, so, so we don't need to be that type of community. Instead, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Don't we live in a culture full of people who think themselves to be something, right? Including myself at times. Verse 4, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. So that kind of sounds like a contradiction at first, because he just said bear one another's burden. But what he's saying is ultimately in the end, um, you are responsible before God for, for the life that you live. So you help other people, but know that you are going to be judged for the life that you live. Okay, so don't be comparing one another and thinking you're something special. 
Okay, um, so, so what does these, these first verses mean? Well, basically what Paul is saying is, this is what a spirit-led community looks like. It's a community um, that humbly bears the burdens of others. This is how we fulfill the law of Christ. We're no longer under the law of Moses. We're under the law of Christ. It's freedom, okay? And it involves lovingly restoring people who have fallen into sin. And, in, and we do that with an attitude of gentleness and humility, all the while keeping watch on ourselves so that we aren't tempted to fall into sin as well. So let me kind of give you an illustration of, of authentic community. Um, when I was a kid, I really loved um, collecting those little polished rocks that you put in that little fancy bag. You may have seen them. They're in the stores where everything's overpriced, right? Um, and in the middle, there's this giant thing that just attracts children. Um, and there's all these polished rocks. And you can just dig through them and, and put them in your bag. And, and they charge you by the pound. Parents love that, right? These kids just, oh, I want this one and this one and this one. And, you know, they're weighing it. Um, but I, I love those things. I have no idea why. And I don't even know where they are today. Um, but I, I love those things. But I remember figuring out how they made them. Because, you know, a rock... In the, in the driveway, it doesn't look like that. So how, how does that happen? Well, what they do is they take all the rocks and they throw it in this big thing called a rock tumbler and they turn the rock tumbler on and the rocks just bounce off of one another and basically polish each other. The sharp edges are taken off and they start to get smooth and, 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 and something miraculous happens when you take those rocks out is now they're smooth. They're no longer rough and, 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 and kind of hard to look at and, and hard to use, Okay. And when I was thinking about an illustration of what the church is, I couldn't help but think of those little polished rocks. And here's why. When we come into here and we hear that we're sinners, separated from God, with no hope of saving ourselves. And we hear that Jesus died on the cross and paid for all of our sins and we place our faith in him. We're saved. We're born again. We become children of God. But there's still a lot of rough edges. And so what God does is he takes you and he puts you in this big rock tumbler called the church with all a bunch of other rocks. And we all got rough edges. And he turns on the rock tumbler. And there's a lot of bouncing around and, and, and there's a lot of bouncing off one of each other and sometimes some friction. And there's sometimes some really annoying rocks. Am I right? right? We don't have to say any names. But, right? and, and, and what happens is we bounce off of one another and what God is doing through this messy community called the church is he's shaping us more and more into the image of Jesus. And just like those rough-looking rocks come out nice and smooth, God said that I began a good work in you, and I'm going to complete it. And part of his process of completing that is the local church. And in our culture today, we are so individualistic, and we are so like, I'm just going to do me, and and everybody else, you do you, and and we're just going to withdraw and project, right? I talk about that all the time, especially with social media. Right? You just see all the good. You never see the mess. Right? Um, but the church is a place where it's messy. Where we do fall into sin at times. Where we do need help with other people to bear our burdens. Where, where we do need to look out for one another. When you see another Christian heading towards the edge of a cliff. Right? About to drive off. It's love to say, hey, you're, you're on a path that's going to lead you to destruction. That's authentic community. It's saying, yeah, I, I am messy. Even as your pastor, guess what? I lose my temper at times. I don't always walk in the spirit. I don't always witness to people when I, when I know that they need the gospel. Uh, I don't always preach uh, in a way that is, is Christ-honoring. Sometimes I, I do it with this, this pride to point to me, and I have to fight that. Why? Because I'm messy, and there's rough edges here still. But God is using the church to smooth us out and to make us more like Jesus. And, and so don't just attend here. Belong here. Walk in humility and love. 
Be open and honest about your struggles. Allow others to gently call out your faults. If you don't have people in your life that can call out your blind spots, then, then believe me, um, you've got a lot of blind spots that you're not aware of. I've got people in my life, two of them right here, who I say, hey, call me out, okay? When I'm acting like a fool, call me out. I need people to look into my life and say, you're not living according to the gospel, okay? And so we need people in our lives to bear our burdens, to help us, to to call us out when we're falling into sin, all right? And, And that's what Paul is saying. Authentic community is saying, hey, we're not afraid to help others, and we're not, we're not too proud to allow others to help us. And, and I'll be honest, it's hard when someone calls out your faults. That's why it says do it in meekness, <laughs> gentleness, because you also could be tempted to fall into sin. So don't be strutting around like you got it all figured out and saying, hey, you're a sinner. Get your act together. That's not how he's saying. He's saying with humility and love, help each other. It's a burden to walk through this life alone. A good, a good illustration is you're driving down the road and you see that car pulled over, you know, with their lights on and they need help. And, and you know, depending on if you're in a hurry or if you have time, you might stop and help. And in the, in, the, in the church, we need to be spiritual mechanics that are looking out for one another, especially when someone's broke down. When we pull over, we stop what we're doing and we help them. We bear their burden with gentleness. Walk in authentic community. That's the first mark of a spirit-led life. You're in an authentic community. What do I always say? The gospel says we're bankrupt sinners, right? We're not good people, so we don't put on a show here, right? We've got to be authentic. It's okay to not be okay. We just don't stay there. God meets us in our mess, polishes off the rough edges, and makes us more like Jesus. But that's not going to happen if we're constantly withdrawing and putting on the show. If we come in here, oh, you know, everything's great, life's good, You know, if we never stick around for the small groups, if we never talk to one another, if we never open up, then then that's not going to help us in our walk with the Lord. So the first step of a spirit-led life is to to walk in authentic community. Secondly, we cultivate spiritual growth. This is verse 6. It says this, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. The word communicate has the idea of sharing or helping. I was joking last week after the service that I, in three years, I've never had to preach a message on giving. Like it's just never kind of, it's never come up and the bills are paid and, and you guys are just a giving church. And so I want to thank you for that. Um, but he's saying, hey, share with the teacher. All right. Make sure that he, he's got his bills paid because he's teaching you the word. That's what it's saying. So it's, it's, it's good for churches to pay their pastor. Okay. Not a ton of money, those, those megachurch pastors, I don't understand some of that, but we'll move on, okay? Verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Pretty simple, whatever you plant, you're going to get. Verse 8, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap If we faint not, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So what is Paul teaching here? He's teaching a principle of cultivation, of sowing and reaping. What he's he's saying here is this is a crucial principle in the Christian life. Who we are today is based on what we planted yesterday. And who we're going to be tomorrow is based on what we plant today. That's what he's saying. So, so what should we cultivate if we're going to be led by the Spirit? Spiritual growth. 
so to the Spirit. Plant things that are going to help us um, grow in this Christian life. And this is also another warning passage because although we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, we display whether or not we are truly born again by what we decide to cultivate. And Paul's pretty clear here. This is, this is clear, and I'm just going to read it because I want you to see this. Okay, in verse 8, The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. What is corruption? Um, ultimately, it's not spiritual life. It's not eternal life. It's, it's corruption to the point where damnation, because the next verse says, But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So there's eternal life over here and corruption over here. In other words, if we don't cultivate spiritual growth, if we never grow, if we never have the display of love, joy, peace, and all those things in our lives, if we don't ever pursue holiness, if we don't ever um, try to fight our sin, we're not perfect. But if there's no growth, and I'm not talking perfection here, I'm talking just little steps forward, then we should check ourselves. Because we're not reaping to the Spirit, which means we're not reaping eternal life. He's not saying you earn salvation. Don't get that. What he's saying is you show whether or not you're truly a Christian by what you decide to to sow and reap. So what does your life look like? It's a warning. And one of the key ways in this passage that we sow to the spirit, that we support those who are called to the ministry of the word. That's what that's what he said. You share that share good things with the teacher, but also to do good to others when we have opportunity, especially other believers. So he connects it. He kind of brackets this section with, with what we give and how we help others. So it's a, it's a great way to sow to the Spirit. So we cultivate spiritual growth in a lot of ways. By coming to church, by supporting the preaching, by, by obeying the Word, by reading our Bibles, by praying, by helping others, by doing good to all when we have opportunity, especially those who are of the household of faith, our family. Those are some ways um, that we sow to the Spirit. And by doing those, we show that we're truly children of God. I hope that makes sense. If you, if you need help with that or, or kind of confused by that, then talk to me. We'll, we'll walk through it together and I'll help try to explain it better. But he's not saying we earn salvation. He's saying we show whether or not we're truly saved by what we decide to cultivate in our lives. Okay? Let me give you a quick illustration. There's an old wives' tale um, of, a, of a famous dog fighter um, who used to bet on dogs and he would always win. Every time, whatever dog he chose to bet on, he would always win. And someone finally got the courage. And by the way, this is a wife's tale. Um, animal lovers, please don't be upset by this, okay? It's, I don't think it's a true story. I don't think, okay? Um, but <laughs> he would always win, okay? And someone finally got the courage to say, hey, how do you always pick the right dog? You know, how, what, what's your secret? And he says, it's simple. I just always bet on the dog that I fed that week. And it's a silly illustration, and it shows kind of a, a screwed up guy, okay? But what he's saying is there's two dogs, and the one that I fed all week long is going to be stronger. And he's going to win the fight. And, and again, it's a fake story, okay? So don't be upset with me for using it. But in a very real sense, we have two natures inside of us, do we not? When we become Christians, yes, we're Christians. Yes, we have the spirit. But there's also that flesh kind of clings to us. Kind of tempts us to do wrong. Like that shopping cart last week that I talked about. It's just bent towards wrong. And we've got these two natures inside of us. And, and whatever nature we decide to sow to or to feed is the nature that's going to win. And so if I decide I'm going to start my day tomorrow by, by getting in the word and begging God for help that day and, and reading and, and, and claiming some of his promises and, and asking for his help. And then I go into my day with that. It's going to look radically different than a day where I get up and I just don't worry about that and I just do my own thing. 
And I try to live it in my own strength. Okay, when, when there's conflict later between my wife and I. Okay, and yes, there is conflict there sometimes. Okay, when there's conflict, whether or not I was in the word asking God to give me the fruit of the spirit, which one is patience. Whether or not I was in that is going to determine what happens in that fight. And, and so the illustration is you've got two natures inside of you and, and you decide every day which one you're going to feed. And I'll say it again. Who you are today is based off of what you planted yesterday. And who you're going to be tomorrow is based on what you decide to plant today. So what Paul is saying is the spirit-led life looks like walking in authentic community, bearing one another's burdens, but not only that, sowing to the spirit, cultivating spiritual growth. And there's one final principle he gives. He says this, keep the cross central. Keep the cross central. In verses 11 through 18, he says, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. So today, when you send a text message and you're angry with someone and it's all caps, okay, there's a reason for that, right? Like you want to get their attention. This is important. Listen to this, okay? Um, what he's saying is, I, Paul, normally what he would do is he would speak to someone and they would write it. So his letter, I can kind of see him with Galatians, just kind of like going back and forth, like talking, you know, because these Galatian Christians are, are, are tempted to go after another gospel. And he's just going back and forth and, and the Spirit's filling him because it's the Word of God. And he's, and he's talking and this guy's writing it down. But then for the very end, he says, okay, hold up, watch out, scoot over. I'm going to write this part. And I'm writing it with big letters. <laughs> okay, they need to understand this. Now, some think this goes back to that I thing that maybe he was a little blind, so he had to write with bigger letters. But I think maybe there's an emphasis here, okay, kind of like all caps. But he's going to end in his own handwriting to kind of sign off. And this may be something he did with all of his letters to kind of show they were his. But he says, you see um, what large letter I write with my own hand. In verse 12, he says, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So what is he doing? He's saying, look, these people that are trying to get you after the Old Testament law to, to try to, to be circumcised, to go under the Torah again, it's all just a big show. It's all a big religious show of the flesh to say, look how good I am. I got these people to believe. I got these people to go under the Old Testament law. It's a big show. And he says, they don't want to be persecuted by the cross of Christ. And then in verse 13, he says this, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. It's like they, they don't even obey it themselves. They're trying to get you to obey it. But desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. He's saying it's all a big game for them. It's all about numbers. Look how many people I got to convert to Judaism this week. It's all it is. But look what Paul says in contrast. But God forbid, or may it never be, that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I under the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. If you're wondering what in the world... There's all this talk about circumcision. Like, that's just weird, okay? Well, the reason for that is because that was like the first step to enter into Judaism, okay? That was how they marked themselves as God's people in the Old Testament. And so, yes, I know it's strange. What he's saying is that stuff doesn't matter anymore, okay? We're no longer under a law where we separate based on physical things. We are a new creature, right? Old things are passed away. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's what he's saying here. And as many as walk according to this rule... Peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends with this powerful prayer. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
Amen. And so what he's saying here is, is if you live a life of spirit-led living where you boast in the cross alone and you keep the cross central, what you are is you're showing yourself to be the true Israel of God. Those people aren't the Israel of God. They're, they're Judaizers. They're trying to turn the law into this ladder to get to God. And it doesn't work that way. And, and I love verse 14. That's what I want to focus on the rest of our time. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying there? What he's saying is that his glory, his boast, his confidence is in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. Because he contributed nothing to his salvation. Okay, if you are a, a child of God today, if you're a believer today, you added nothing to that. It wasn't because you were more smart. It wasn't because you decided to, to come to church one day. It wasn't you. It was God who drew you to himself and saved you. And so Paul's saying, I, I added nothing to this. So my only boast, my only glory is in the cross. And, and what he's saying is, it was all of grace from beginning to end. And this is so powerful for us because our only boast is in the cross. Like that song we sang earlier. Because every source of good in our lives, you have to get this, comes from the cross. Okay, so as believers, all the blessings in our lives came through the cross. Every promise in this book is a blood-bought promise. Okay, every trial in your life that God turns for good, that is, that is, is happening in your life because of the cross. Because apart from the cross, we are enemies of God. Objects of his wrath, bent towards sin, separated from him. That's why Jesus came to die. He came to die and take your sins and pay for them on the cross. And when we trust in Jesus, we receive a new nature. We receive the spirit. We're given the righteousness of Christ. All of our sins are forgiven and we become children of God. And so every promise in this book is a blood-bought promise. Every good in your life comes through the cross. Apart from the cross, we have nothing as Christians. There's nothing to boast in. There's no good. There's no confidence anywhere but in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. So keep the cross central. Not just for, for getting saved, but for continuing. How do we continue tomorrow as Christians? Through the cross. The cross is where we were saved from our sins. The cross is where Christ absorbed the wrath of God for us. The, the cross is where Christ secured our righteousness. The cross is where Christ reconciled us to God. And so all of our hope, all of our boasting, all of our glory finds its center in the cross. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He says, he says, may it never be that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me. That's a strange phrase. The world's been crucified unto me, and I unto the world. What is he saying? He's saying the entire world system, with its power and its glory and its desires and its influence over Paul, it's dead. The cross has killed it. And the cross has killed him to the world. He no longer has any affections for that. Like we were talking today, Jesus, our priceless treasure. So what he's, what he's talking about here is, first of all, he's talking about new identity. Right? We are crucified with Christ. Okay? So we're dead to the world, and the world's dead to us. We have a new identity. We don't need others to validate us anymore. Isn't that awesome? We've been set free. We don't have to live for the approval of others. I don't have to come in here and worry about what you guys think of me. Why? Because I'm dead to it. I'm a child of God. I'm set, I'm set free. I'm a free man. We've been, we have a new identity. We're crucified with Christ. And, and the world is dead to us, not only with its, its system and its influences, but also with its desires. This is why in Philippians 1, a later book, 
Paul can say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in chapter 3, he says, I count all things, everything, but loss compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. So, so what I want you to do right now is I want you to think about this. This, this is radical, okay? Very radical that Paul's saying this. I want you to take all the pleasures of this world. We've done this before, but I want you to think of all the pleasures of this world. All of your favorite pleasures. Not necessarily wrong, but just pleasures in general. Your family. Getting to see your kids grow up. Getting to see them have kids and start to have grandkids. Getting to see them grow up. Your job. Some of you love it, some of you hate it, but if you love it, think about that. Your job and, and the ability to work that job and to have the skill to do it. The abilities that God's given you to do that. Your dream retirement, man, that's a, that's a big one in our country, right? Your dream retirement, your friends, your, your coworkers, your favorite bodily pleasures. I want you to take all of that. I want you to put it right here. And I want you to put Jesus over here. And Jesus says all that stuff, or Paul says all of that stuff over here, it's dung. It's worthless. It doesn't compare to Jesus. That's what he's saying. I've been crucified to the world, to the world's pleasures, to the world's desires. He's not saying those things are wrong, but he's saying his true joy, his ultimate bottom source for his joy and satisfaction is Jesus alone. And so we keep the cross central. That's what empowers us to live this life. The cross rescues us from this present evil age. It brings us the spirit. It clears the way for Abraham's blessing. Enables us to live in the presence of God. Every good in your life came through the cross. Every good in your life. Because apart from it, we're objects of God's wrath. So keep the cross central in everything. Tomorrow when you wake up, you know what? You don't have to earn God's favor. You don't have to worry about whether or not he loves you. He loves you because of the cross. You're his child. He poured out all of his wrath on Jesus on the cross so that you could be set free. So keep the cross central. The cross empowers us to live this life. That's what it's so important for us as Christians. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And you know what's so amazing about that statement is that Jesus puts his finger on the one thing that all of us want. Abundant life, fullness of life, satisfaction. That's what we want. That's why we work hard and and go to school and try to get good grades and go to college and try to get good grades and and get a good job and try to find a spouse and get that dream house and and plan for that retirement. Why? We want fullness of life. We want abundant life. That's what we want. And Jesus says, you want abundant life? Come to me. That's where abundant life is. That's where fullness of life is, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And and that's, that's what he's pointing to. But so often we as human beings... We, we don't trust him. And so we, we go over here into legalism and we say, I'm going to earn abundant life in my own strength. I'm going to manipulate God with how I live to try to get his blessing. Or maybe we don't trust him and we say, you know, I don't think abundant life is Jesus. I, I think it's over here living, living for the flesh and, and, and going over here and, and just living this good life of sin and, and disregarding the Bible. It's the same thing that's been happening since the garden, Right? All right, Adam, you've got this entire garden with every tree, with all this fruit, with all this awesomeness, and you've got a wife. And it says they were both naked, and and they were not afraid, and there was no shame, and there was perfect harmony and joy. And he says, but Adam, there's this one tree I don't want you to eat from, okay? But just, you got all of this, okay? What does he do? Man, I think God's holding out on me. 
Like there's an entire garden and he goes for the, the one tree you can't have. Isn't that what we do all the time? And so what we do is we don't trust Jesus when he says, I am abundant life. That's where abundant life is found. And the whole message of Galatians is abundant life is the spirit led life. That's where we are in union with Christ. That's where our joys are satisfied. And, and, and that's so important for us to understand because the abundant life and fullness of life influences everything you do. The job you chose, the, the spouse you chose, the retirement package, you chose, all of it is, is it goes back to, I want fullness of life. And Jesus says, you want fullness of life? Come to me. And that's basically the message of Galatians. Fullness of life is being set free so that we can live free. Live for what truly matters. Have our desires truly satisfied. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. And so, so the answer to, to, to fighting those things of going away on our own is faith. Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith in his promises. Faith that he really is abundant life. It's faith. And so the message of the, the book, the message of this chapter that I want you to walk away with is this. The cross has set you free. So live in that freedom. The freedom of fullness of life. The freedom of being led by the Spirit. The freedom of not falling into the ditch of legalism or license. The freedom of knowing that you have been reconciled to God. And that one day we have the hope of a new creation. Not floating in clouds, but a new creation, a new body on a new earth. Living with with God forever. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more brokenness. And we can get a taste of that, a glimpse of that now. Because what does Paul say? He says we're new creatures. We're part of that new creation. We're just a, a glimpse of what's to come. The cross has set you free. So live in that freedom. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. You're no longer a slave. The cross has set you free. So step into your freedom as sons and daughters of God and live as a new creation because the cross has set us free. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, how it speaks to our hearts. Lord, thank you so much that you've called us to freedom. This isn't bondage. This is, this is true life. This is abundant life. This is fullness of life. Help for us to walk in that when we're tempted to disregard what you say and go our own way. Pray that you would give us the faith to trust that abundant life is the life that you offer and that the cross has set us free. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.